Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are in Luke chapter 4. Uh, from day 2, a couple of comments that we got on the the U version. Uh, Sarah, my wife, said to go off Emily's point yesterday, God seems to repeatedly choose those who have already chosen to follow him. God chose Noah, Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, and today Simeon, Simeon in the temple and Anna were also already devoted and watching for the Messiah. Even Paul later, although not submitted to Jesus, yet he was faultless according to the law. Uh, she goes on and talks about um, the message from Sunday about what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, uh, although I think there are really amazing elements of, of um, faithfulness in the scripture, it really is important not to somehow get ourselves onto this idea that there are some worthy uh, right, there, right. there is no one righteous, no, not one. The, the idea here is that there was a call to each one of those people, uh, whether it was in the Jewish framework, when we're talking about, we're talking about Anna, we're talking about Simeon, we're talking about Zacharias, we're talking about Elizabeth, we're talking about Mary. These were covenanted Jewish people who were invited to walk in a covenant with God. And in the case of Noah, there, there has to be some, although we don't have an express statement of it, there has to be some call to follow God for Noah to be faithful to God. Right. So the, the point that I'm getting at is, although that picture is there, and, it, and it's pretty amazing that God chooses those who are, who are faithful, he, this is a choosing not unto salvation, this is a choosing unto service. And their following him had been evidenced by, or their faithfulness had been evidenced by their actions. And so he calls them to a duty or calls them to a, a point. So I think, although I love those pictures that say, and this man was righteous, or this man was devout, or this woman was devout, and this woman was righteous, it's, it's just important that we don't start making a segment of people that somehow were worthy of God's salvation. It just... We aren't worthy Absolutely. of it. And it's just, I, I think there are just as many that were not worthy. I, I, the, the one that comes to my mind is David. I, uh, there's no doubt that God used him in great ways, but he was certainly not a man that was blameless as it relates to sin. He, he was a sinner. And uh, so I think there are just as many stories of God taking those that would be highly unlikely to be used and using them for his service. Without doubt. Although we, we love to talk about uh, those stories, and we'll, we'll probably reference it at some point today in Luke 4, but the idea of Job, sure, God says, have you considered my servant Job? That's a really amazing, in some ways, that's an amazing uh, endorsement by God. And then, of course, we read the story of Job, and we go, God, stop dropping my name, uh, you know, in this case. But you brought up David, David is out in the field taking care of his family's uh, business. He, he is not said to be faithful or anything. It was simple, simply a choosing of God for mm -hmm. the purpose mm -hmm. of the king of Israel. So again, sometimes I think what happens is we conflate these ideas and we want to look for, we want to look for those people that are just 
amazing, noble people, and then we kind of pat ourselves on the back for why God might choose us. Mm-hmm. It's simply not what's happening in the scripture if we're looking at it from a 30,000-foot view. Yeah, absolutely right. right. Then uh, Emily Bertram uh, signs on on that day and says, I agree, Sarah, the level of devotion of Anna and of Simeon is amazing to see. And and I think we all agree. We do marvel at the devotion of these people. Absolutely we just right. can't let that override that mm-hmm. they're still products of the mercy of God. So Emily goes on and says, I am struck that in a time where we'll see so many uh, didn't recognize Jesus for who he was, genuinely what his purpose was, how he would fulfill it, these two most certainly did. They they saw that Jesus was uh, who he was supposed to be. And, and Emily goes on with some, with some more great points. Uh, Mike Van Fleet says, walking in obedience, trusting and being faithful to his word. This should be our plan today. Mary, Joseph, and so many others were so obedient and faithful. Again, we're talking about, we're talking about something that is absolutely praiseworthy, uh, and we just have to put it in its right folder. But Mike goes on and says, they truly set the stage for Jesus's arrival. Lord, thank you for your plan of redemption. Thank you for so many examples of truly obedient and faithful people. And of course, my mind goes to to Hebrews 11 in this great cloud of witnesses. And Mm -hmm. I think in many cases, we are given these pictures to see people who walked by faith, because that's what we're called to. Absolutely. In view of God's mercy, we're called to walk by faith. Um, So... You know, it's as we talk about that for just a second more, I, I am almost more amazed by those people who were seemingly so unworthy of God to use them. And there were many, many, many of those. Uh, it gives me hope, you know. Yes. It gives me, uh, I, I, I believe that if God can use a man like David as an example, uh, that, that there is hope, that we're, we're not all Simeons and we're not all Davids, but we, we, we certainly can see that God chooses whom he will, first of all. And, but uh, I think probably the greatest thing that uh, these folks did that made them able to be used by God was they were willing to do what God said. They could, they could be, they weren't certainly not perfect, but they were willing to do what God told, yeah. told them to do. And as we, as we jump into Luke uh, 4, I think the, the principle uh, that it's just something that is worth considering when you're, when you're looking through the scripture and you're looking at God's choosing. I've, I've spent a lot of time in this study. I, I care deeply about this matter of God's choosing. When you look at that in the scripture, uh, always do yourself a favor and make sure that you, that you differentiate between God's choosing of those to be saved. The scripture says he wants that none should perish, but that all would come to everlasting life and God's choosing of those for a particular service. He only chose David for that Mm -hmm. purpose. That is a unique calling, and only David got it. Mm -hmm. And while that would be cool to to be a part of that, but only David got that, and you you rightly said it. You know, in in those instances of calling for service... God picks who God wants to pick. He, he has a plan, and he's going to carry that out. Okay, so 
Luke chapter 4 begins with the temptation of Jesus. What's something that stood out to oh you? Oh my, <laughs> many, many things in this. I, I think the most prominent thing in the first uh, verse or two was that Jesus could have used, in, in this uh, uh, being led by the Spirit, he, he didn't use his power as God when he was on the, on the earth here. I, I think there are many... He, he was led by the Spirit just like people today are. Well, I don't want to say just like. He was led by the Spirit similar to what people are led by today. And, uh, I, and, and we'll see later on as we go down through these verses that Jesus could have used far more godly power that he had, but he did not. And I think we'll get into that as we go, but there were reasons for that, I think, as yeah. well. The the idea that, that he came and laid down that right, which he fully mm-hmm. has, mm-hmm. so that he might be a servant and that he might uh, suffer and die for us is just, it's amazing. So um, we're, we're going to jump into this with this idea of wilderness, of Exodus language again, with this comment about the wilderness. He says, Jesus full of the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. A couple things to to point out here. Uh, and then in verse 2, it says, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. A couple of fun things to point out here is that one of Luke's favorite phrases to use is this expression full of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Luke and Acts alone, we have this near 10 times oh, wow. yeah. where he, he loves to say full of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, just in that same verse, he says he's led by the Spirit. And that that term by literally translates under the influence or in the spirit. And so when I when I'm thinking about those words in the Greek and I'm and I'm and I'm trying to put that into a framework in my mind, I'm I'm hearing Paul say at all times pray in the spirit. And right here we have Jesus led around in the spirit in the wilderness. And you'll see why in a second, why I think that that's an intriguing idea, but but we'll we'll catch up in a second. But first of all, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, and he's being led in the Spirit. And then we have this Exodus language. He's being led in the wilderness, and it happens to be 40 days, yes. like the 40 years in the wilderness. So, so we have this amazing journey here, and what sets Jesus apart from the people of Israel is that Jesus obeys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is the faithful one, and we are grateful for this. Um, but this is another piece that maybe we'll get to to elaborate on, but it was the Spirit who led him into the wilderness. Right, exactly. It was not the devil. It was exactly right. And it is that that's a great point and uh, something that I noted as well. The other thing that comes to mind when I read about him being uh, tempted, I... Hebrews 4.15 comes to mind. So it says, we, for we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I, I think there is a, there's something about Jesus going through this. And many things I think we can glean from this. Many things I, I think we, we can speculate on. But there is there definitely is a point there that, Jesus was tempted as we are. 
Absolutely. I, I, I skip ahead just to verse 13 for a second because the, the verse tells us that when the devil had finished every temptation, mm-hmm. he left him until an opportune time. But that phrase there, when the devil had finished every temptation, it, it almost paints the picture that there was far more than these three mm-hmm. iconic temptations of Jesus, that there was more, but that they were illustrated, that this temptation was illustrated at least by these three. But I love that reference to Hebrews because it he has, he knows what we are going through, mm-hmm. which is a powerful thing. So number one, we see that God is the one, the spirit of God is the one that leads uh, Jesus into the wilderness, but the devil is the one who tempts him. And we're, we're back to that reference in our opening dialogue about Job. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see again that God in the story of Job says, have you considered my servant Job? It wasn't at the request of the of the enemy first. It was God who launches this off and says, have you considered my servant Job? In this, it is God who is leading Jesus into the wilderness. Um, and there's this symbolic thing. There's this Exodus journey, whatever it is. But God is the one leading him. And then the devil comes in. But that, that brings up a really challenging conversation theologically. And that is that the scripture tells us um, that God doesn't tempt us. Right. But the scripture does say in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm no, uh, you know, I'm no expert in this area. I simply want to say that there has to be a clear difference between God, um, God leading you into a desert, into the desert, where this kind of thing is going to test you, mm-hmm. and the fact that God will not be the direct tester. He is not the one who is tempting you to sin. He won't entice you to sin. He may allow you to be in a circumstance mm-hmm. where that comes, but that is a testing of your faith. Yes. Not not a temptation for you to sin as given by God. Exactly. That that is a that that's an interesting and difficult concept I think for people to grasp and really work through in their mind. I I don't know that uh, I can say that I don't know that I completely know that, know how this all played out. As you've said, there is no doubt that the Spirit of God led him into this place, and we we know that Satan was there. We can we can see that, uh, and it is a very difficult thing to think about uh, how all that played out. But it it is comforting to know that Jesus does know how we're tempted and we're tried. And strangely enough, I think many times in, in life, it seems that, that that type of thing happens in our lives when things are going well. Things seems to be going well. I think that Satan will come to you and, and, and uh, throw a curve and just uh, you know, take you off guard. But uh, but it but it is an interesting thing, one that I don't I don't know that we will completely figure out here. No, yet. and and although complex, although a, a bit uh, <laughs> as we like to say above our pay grade, mm-hmm. yes. um, it is comforting to know if God is the one by His Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness. Um, God is in control, mm-hmm. and I take comfort in that. Absolutely. I take comfort in the fact that in this situation, God in every part is in control. And I, 
I'm at peace. And the end of the story is revealed. Jesus wins, right? Yes. Jesus yes. Jesus beats this temptation. So, so let's take a look at these temptations really quick. Um, verse 3, uh, the devil says to him, well, I do love this piece of, of uh, detail here. It says in verse 2, he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Yes. Thanks. We needed yeah. to know that. I mean, that's duh. <laughs> it, it, it is interesting because we know that Luke was a doctor, and there were there are some commentaries and plenty of doctors who would chime in on that and say there is a point at which someone has not eaten for so many days, the hunger goes away. But when it comes back, you're probably at the point of starving to death. Yeah. So you're so it could I, I don't know. That's speculation. He's, he's hungry, but I love but he, verse yeah. two. <laughs> Jesus is hungry. And uh and so then we rewind in the story. This was at that was at the end of that journey. But back in the middle of that journey, it says, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, and we're gonna notice this repeatedly, the devil's asking this, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, pretty pretty challenging Mm -hmm. on his behalf. Uh, But he says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Now, a lot of conjecture is made about this being paralleled to the striking of the rock or the, the calling for manna in the, in the wilderness. Um, Interestingly enough, that was for, uh, that was a, um, a provision for all the people uh, that were in this journey. In this situation, this provision would only be for Jesus. And Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone. Mm-hmm. I, I am I am trusting my father. I think that's a pretty mm-hmm. powerful idea. It is. That and and that that statement that that Satan made, uh where where he says and it's uh in the NASB is if you are the Son of God, there are some uh translate translations that translate that since you are the son of God. So that cool? it could very well be, uh, I, it, it could be either way, but that, that seems to make sense. Uh, but, uh, either way, it's a challenge. It, on it behalf is. It, of the it, enemy. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. And, and it's, uh, it's, it is, it is very, uh, interesting because I believe that Satan probably knew who Jesus was and Jesus knew who he was, of course. Without <laughs> but, doubt. Uh, Without doubt. Uh, so. so then in verse five, we jump in and it says, and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So what he led him up or how he led him up is is a, is a fun uh, thing to, to just uh, banter back and forth over. It's nothing that we can actually solve. But nonetheless, there's this idea that they ascend to the point where he's able to to get a glimpse, not just of the world in in a in, in a giant fell swoop, but instead of the kingdoms of the world. So so this temptation has to do with power, mm-hmm. has to do with authority, and of course the humorous thing here is that. This is God. So, but verse six, he says, and the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. The, the, 
the temptation here is uh, some sort of covetousness of the kingdoms of the world, uh, as well as the the giving of this domain, and this all because he is the prince and power of the air, I suppose, as we 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 might say, the devil. Um, but then he he's promising him to hand it over to him. And the temptation is only God can hand mm-hmm. this over. Only mm-hmm. God can give this. Um, so I think that that's powerful. And there's an integral connection between who you're trusting and what you're worshiping, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I if, if he takes this and bows at the feet of the devil, then that's who he's trusting. That's who he's worshiping. And so Jesus's response to this temptation is, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You notice he doesn't even address mm-hmm. the kingdoms of the world exactly. issue. He doesn't. And, and it could be that you know, obviously, he didn't dispute the fact that Satan had the power to give him those kingdoms. Sure. He didn't say, oh, no, you can't do that. It, that is, uh, uh, so there was no dispute on that. He simply hit him with uh, Deuteron- Deuteronomy 6 as like, N- no, you're, I, you will only worship the Lord your God. Yes. And it is, uh, it is interesting uh, how that Jesus uses the word of God and many times over uh, to, to battle against Satan, but it is also interesting, and we're going to see this here quickly in the next few verses, how Satan uses the word of God and to tempt Jesus. Absolutely. So in uh, the next temptation, we're going to tie back in to, um, to this idea of being led in the spirit, which we talked about in verse one. Um, and, and what I'm going to share here is, is complete conjecture. It's just, it's just a connection that I look at and I think, wow, I wonder, I wonder if this is what that's really about. So first of all, Jesus is led in the spirit into this wilderness location. We learned yesterday that sometimes Luke doesn't have geography in mind, but rather a spiritual principle in mind. Well, notice the next temptation. It says, and he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Either what's being communicated here is he was in the desert until they came out of the desert, Mm -hmm. or it's not really about a geographical desert here, okay? Mm -hmm. But rather a a place in which there is there is pain and toil and temptation and you know uh, broods of viper biting at you you know yes. <laughs> whatever it might be which were all pictures that Jewish people had of the wilderness because they had gone through it and the desert was not a a pretty place at times so, nonetheless the temptation is he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple scholars don't know exactly where that location is they don't know exactly what was referred to there but uh, he says if you are the son of god there's our question again or as another translation right you you could say you know since you are the son of god throw yourself down for here from here for it is written and here's your point right he's quoting scripture yeah. he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone and jesus does exactly what he just did in the previous temptation and that is he doesn't even address the twisting of the scripture to try to get him to do something instead he says you shall not put the lord your god to the mm-hmm. test i i think it is interesting because i uh, that satan uses the word of God, although 
twists and distorts it for his purposes, I, I, there is a pretty good chance that he does the same thing in our world today, I think many times. Uh, and and I, I, I don't want to paint everyone who has a wrong view or a, a misconception about Scripture as working for Satan, Amen. but, but there, is, there are definitely times when I think Satan will use the, the, uh, uh, an incorrect uh, uh, understanding of Scripture to distort the truth. Uh, and I, I think that happens more often than we think because it, it, it will draw people astray. It will let, it will, it will, uh, take them, uh, to a place where they really don't understand what God intends for them. You're, you're bringing up, uh, I believe a powerful, uh, principle or a powerful idea that requires a lot more discussion than the church often gives it. And that is when we don't understand the, um, the heart behind the text, when we don't understand what God is is getting at behind these things, the devil comes in and he sows these misconstrued ideas into the church and 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 we do it too, just because we were maybe we're ignorant. The problem is is that there are times when we unwittingly mm-hmm. put the Lord our God to a test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we do this in some of our prayers expecting certain results. I think we are unwittingly putting the Lord our God to the test and falling, therefore, into the devil's trap. I think this is why we're called to rightly divide the word of truth. I think this is why we are called to meditate on God's word day and night. I think, and and these are calls that apply both to leaders and laity, to use a really antiquated old uh, church term, but I think all God's people have a responsibility to to get into the word and and hunger to understand it because God tells us if we seek we will find um, if we James if we ask for wisdom he's going to give it to us mm-hmm. abundantly and why do we want that wisdom not so that when we stand before the pearly gates we can say I deserve to be here nobody deserves to be there we're back to that by grace thing but instead to say I want to do well in this life I want to honor God with every area of my life. I I want to respond well. I want to treat people well. I want to be a good, I think this is a fun way to put it, I want to be a good kingdom citizen now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know what the future looks like. I'm I'm no fortune teller. I can't tell you exactly how the new heavens and the new earth are going to play out. But what I do know is that I want his kingdom to come here as it is in heaven. And that means his citizens would be here. And they would be living for him. And I think that's important. So it, it, It's so, so important. It is to be able to, as you said, rightly divide the word of truth. And because this is our weapon against Satan. This is, this is, our, this is our tool to understand what God has said to us, the promises that are for us, the, 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 the things in his word that, that describe his attributes and, and what God is about. And I think that we do ourselves a complete disservice to not understand God's word and in, in, in its, in, first of all, in the right context, but also understanding it in the way that God had written it to the folks that first heard it. The, the way that it came across to them, and not read more into it, but not read less into it either. 
And I think it's, but it is vitally, vitally important. It's something that is, that we, that I, I I'm sure we, we will talk about until we leave this earth. Yes. But, but, but this is, this can't be stressed enough to know what God's word said and to know the correct uh, uh, interpretation of what God is trying to say to us. Yes, absolutely. And you and I, just before we jump into verse 14 and move forward, you and I have had uh, long conversations about this, and, and it's a conversation I believe that would be healthy for the church to continue to have. The reason why scholars and theologians and um, and ancient historians and linguists and all of these different fields of study work so hard at what they're doing is not to complicate what people think is the simple word of God. It's actually to clear the weeds away Mm -hmm. from what culture has done in complicating the word of God. Um, In the, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but it is a, it's a powerful resource or a tool on, um, on how to study the word of God. And the authors of the book speak of a, a river that you have to cross from the original text of Scripture, the original audience, and the original context to our modern day. And that river is a river of culture, a river of language, a river of... Um, of traditions and all of those things. And so all of those great fields of study, although sometimes they use $50 words and and people feel lost at this, they're not there trying to complicate the word of God. They're trying to make it easier for us to grasp. And so we really should embrace those fields of study. We should welcome them and we should try to get back mm-hmm. to what you're mm-hmm. talking about, which is the original context. We need that to rightly understand it. It is. It is. I and I'll and and we'll move on after this. But I, I think it is so important. I just read a, an article by a fellow who, would probably uh, has uh, he, he. I know that he had several degrees after his name, that uh, talked about the very scripture that we're going through here. And, and, uh, it, he, he made a note in, in his article that says, and it was not a scholarly article. It was just him, his commentary, if you will. But he noted that Jesus and, and, and the disciples of, of Jesus day, they had the, uh, writings of the new, of the new Testament to go by that, I was like, how, how can anyone know that? They, they did not, first of all, they did not have that. Uh, they had none of those until many, many years after Jesus had, had, had died and rose again. But here is a man who was a pastor of a church and was explaining that they had the scripture to, to go by and the New Testament scripture. It's just not possible. It didn't exist at that time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, and, and I, I say that to, to say, I, I, it's, it's not a, a, a slam on anyone, but it is a, man, we should pray that God, first of all, help people, help people to understand this and know this because there is a thought that I'm sure many people would take to heart. They did not have that scripture things like that and, and 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 it's not as you've said very well it is not to say that 
we know more, we know better, or anything like that. But my goodness, we need to know our scripture. We need to know our Bible. We need to know the history of it. We, we, we need to know the whole rundown of God's word uh, and to do it justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Two resources. The the one that I just referenced was a book called Grasping God's Word by uh, J. Scott Duvall and J. Daniel Hayes. And the next one is called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. So those are wonderful resources. They helped me uh, in my understanding of how to rightly divide the Word of God. So I recommend those. So verse 14, we jump right back into this. And it says, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And yet again, we're, we're mm-hmm. using this language. So now we've got filled with the Spirit. We've got in the Spirit. And now he's, he's returning to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. So remembering that that, that, that detail there, he returned to Nazareth where he was brought up. He's mm-hmm. in his own hometown. Mm-hmm. This is an important uh, piece of context yeah, exactly. as we just talked about. And, and, when, and when Luke talks about uh, that news about him spread throughout all the sur- surrounding district, we're not talking about a small area. No. Uh, the historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, estimated that at that time there were uh, there were approximately three million people living in that district, in that area that was all around Galilee. Uh, so there was a lot of people there. So uh, so these crowds and 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 news about him was spreading around a lot of people. And yeah. I'm sure, as we've uh, noted before, when he says all the surra- surrounding area, not everyone had heard of him, but there was a large number that had yeah. heard of him. So uh, a fun uh, just piece of, of Jewish understanding of, of kind of how the temple operated. It was the custom in the synagogue that during the reading of the Word of God, the, the person who was reading would stand. But during the teaching of the Word of God, when, when they would uh, elaborate or they would unpack, we like to use that phrase in today's world, um, they would sit down to do this. And we actually see Jesus do this all the time. He sits down on the mountain and he begins to teach them. He, he sits in these situations and he teaches them. Now, there is something unique in, in the book of Acts when all of a sudden the apostles come on the scene and they are standing and proclaiming the gospel. Mm. So there's something unique about that evangelistic piece. But the reason I bring that up is because what we do in our church settings seems to be some sort of uh, mixture of all of this. Mm -hmm. We're a a Heinz 57, you know, we're just kind of mixing it together. So he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, he stands up to read, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So, So this is this is a providential moment, isn't <laughs> yes. it? Right? It's a he providential didn't get a chance moment. to study this out. Yeah, he, and he didn't pick it. That's exactly. what I think is really amazing. So uh, now, what do we do with the Son of God and God providentially giving it to him? Yeah, he picked it and he didn't. Anyway, <laughs> lots of confusing uh, philosophy there. But so the book of the prophet Isaiah, or the scroll as it would have been, was handed to him. He opens or unrolls this scroll and he finds the place where it was written. And I just, I love this part because it ties into verse 21 in a very important Mm -hmm. way. 
it says that Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So Jesus preached the gospel. I think that's an important line. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, this comes from Isaiah 61, and anybody who's read Isaiah 61 notices that there's something uniquely missing uh, in, in this in this prophetic utterance. Number one, this is not solely in Isaiah 61. It also branches into other other passages in Isaiah. But here's the line that's missing. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, that's present. The next line in Isaiah says, and the day of vengeance of our God Mm -hmm. to comfort all those who mourn. That it's intriguing. Jesus all of a sudden doesn't say something very important. Yes. It is interesting. Now, I I I have I, I saw that, and I I think that that this day that he's talking about seems to me to be the day that he returns in glory. Uh, I don't think this is his second return, but I, I don't know. I, I this is a, this is a return in glory with this with with the saints, and so this is a. This is a, a spot where we ha- we're gonna we have about a two thousand year pause in the scripture there because he's coming back to do something that that they they would never see yes necessarily yes so so this is actually where we we jump down to verse twenty one and this is the importance of the connection because some of what Isaiah prophesied comes true that day and yet that yes. day of vengeance. Jesus doesn't say. So verse 21 says, And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So here's here's my take on it. My take is that Jesus is actually saying, Today's the day of mercy, but a day of vengeance is coming. While there's a day called today, you, you need to listen to what's being said here. So what was fulfilled? Only the words Jesus re- repeated. The, the word of the, the vengeance of God is not been fulfilled yet because Jesus actually says that he's, he's not come for that purpose right now. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. he is proclaiming the gospel of peace. So it's, it's amazing. I, I do love that the connection that we see if we study Isaiah along paralleling this we actually see some interesting parallels of what anoint me to preach the gospel to the poor means, what it means to proclaim the release of the captives, what it means to recover the sight to the blind and set free those who are oppressed. But I encourage you to just go in to um, into the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and parallel those two passages because they'll it, it'll be a great study uh, for you guys to be a part of. Absolutely, so, and I, I, I think I, I think your thoughts on that are are confirmed just down in verse twenty two when they and when it says and all were speaking well of him, wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips, and they were saying, "Is not this Joseph's son?" So those gracious words, as you've said, this was the offering of grace. This was the offering of. I, I'm here to preach 
to the poor, the and uh, to proclaim release, recovery of sight, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I, I'm sure that uh, I know Jesus stopped. It was intentional. There was no doubt about it. It stopped because, as you pointed out, that scripture was the one that they that they they were seeing fulfilled right then and there. But my goodness. And, and and things uh, uh, and I can just I can just see these folks sitting there thinking, "Wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. His words are great, gracious, and he's telling us that God loves us enough to do all of these things." Absolutely. So we actually moved from from Luke's um, ability to wow us with his detail. Uh, actually, in verse 22, for Luke to wow us with his writing ability and the imagery he paints. When he says, and they were speaking well of him, he says, and they were wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. What a, what a powerful image. Very poetic. Very yes. very beautiful image here. Now, Jesus does what every preacher does. And he doesn't stop when the sermon just goes well. Yeah. He goes further. And now we're going to see that these people didn't quite like yes. him, right? So one of the reasons why they were marveling is because they actually just thought he was a man. He's yeah. the son of Joseph, right? Yep. And so 23, it says, he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Now, that, that's a verse that gets spun way out of yes. control, I believe. I think most people look at it and say, this is why children don't listen to their parents, because no prophet is welcome <laughs> in his hometown. Um, good try. Yep. It's just not what yeah. this is talking about. A little okay? out of context. A little out of context. Your kids aren't listening to you for other reasons. We'll move on from that yes. for right now. But <laughs> he says, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. Now, we have to read all of this to understand its context so that we can see what he means by no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Mm -hmm. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now, a couple of months ago, I shared in a, in a message on this that this widow from Zarephath and Naaman are both foreigners. They're Gentiles. The, they're Gentiles. Yep. The idea that Jesus is communicating here is you love this message of grace. It sounds like it sounds like joy dripping from my lips. The problem is you're not going to accept it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, just like Elijah, just like Elisha. I'm going to end up going because a prophet is without honor in his hometown. This is a prophetic, again, it's a prophetic message about prophets. <laughs> it's a prophetic message that mm -hmm. they're going to reject him. And sure enough, it says, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these yeah. things. And yeah. that's how sermons end. <laughs> that, he knew what they were going to do. It is, it is very uh, important to note that when he says in verse 23, no doubt you'll quote this 
proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They didn't say that to him, but they must have been thinking it. Yes. They must have been thinking that for Jesus to note that. And we don't have any record. Uh, now, he leaves here and goes to Capernaum. But prior to that, he's talking about something that he had done there prior to this, to this day. And we don't have any record necessarily of that piece of it. But they had heard of it, evidently. But, but it, is, it is very interesting to note of the two, the two people that he mentioned that God chose to deal with were two Gentiles. And, and I'm sure that that stood out to the people that were there because he was in the synagogue. He was teaching, and these were Jews that were sitting before, before him. So this was, this was a powerful peace and a powerful message to these folks again. And, and, and there, and things did not go well as usual. (laughs) Yes. 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 Uh, Some commentators talk about that. uh, What was being referred to here with what you've done in Capernaum was that these people didn't believe Jesus was saying, you guys have some doubts about what you've heard. Um, But no matter what, he knew their hearts because then he says, the problem is, even if I did them, you're you're mm-hmm. not going to mm-hmm. listen, okay? And so, so the people in the synagogue they're filled with rage as they heard these things because effectively he is saying you're you're going to reject me just like you did Elijah and Elisha. Mm-hmm. You're, you're mm-hmm. going to this is the problem. So verse twenty nine, and they got up and drove him out of the city yeah. and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. I mean. Mm-hmm. Listen, I, I don't, I don't know if there's any preachers listening to this, but you haven't come close to this, so keep preaching with boldness, okay? I mean, until somebody's willing to toss you off a cliff, get back on the horse and do your job. So, verse thirty. But passing through their midst, he went his way. It's Jesus, the ninja here, you yeah. know, he just bam, he's gone. Well, they, they were. Uh, it seems to me that although they didn't ask him uh, to do a uh, miracle earlier, they had. Uh, this there there again. This must have been in their heart. He didn't do one then, but he kind of does one this time around. And right, and they didn't probably didn't even see it. He passes right through them and doesn't even and yeah. goes right on his they way. They can't, can't so, see it. Uh, so the next step, as you just uh, as you just said, is Capernaum. And so he he goes down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Something for your own study, for for your reference. Uh, you'll notice in the scripture it always says, no matter where a person is in their geography, that they went up to Jerusalem. The reason for that is because there was a there was a view of Jerusalem as a holy city, and it was always an ascension to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You'll see it even if somebody was north of Jerusalem. The Bible will talk about them going up to Jerusalem. It's just a common common phrase that Jewish people had. Um, And so they came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were amazed at his teaching. And I love this line, for his message was with authority. And elsewhere, we see that they say his message was one of authority and not like that of the scribes Mm -hmm. and the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. Because what, uh, according to... the literature that we we have, we often see these rabbis saying, Moses said, or so-and-so said. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, truly, truly, I say unto mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And, and so this authority is, he's speaking to them 
under authority or as an authority. This is a stark contrast mm-hmm. to their day. It is. And it, and it seems uh, this is the, the second time uh, out of this reading that Jesus has been in the synagogue. I, I, I just noted there that uh, there are plenty of people who say, well, you know, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, I, neither did Jesus, <laughs> but he went. <laughs> yes, so, yes. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we fire on down and uh, uh, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. Notice mm. the plural there, let us alone. Um, it does speak of, and he was possessed with an unclean demon. Now that's an interesting statement mm-hmm. in and of itself. What is a clean demon? <laughs> anyway, that's that's not the point. But the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, "Let us alone." We see this again in a in a uh, a gospel account. The demon, uh, the legion of demons. Mm-hmm. We are many. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of? Nazareth. Now, this is going to say something to what the enemy seems to know that that the world uh, turns a blind eye to. Mm-hmm. It says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Mm-hmm. The enemy knew he was who he said he was or who he would claim to be. Um, it's the people that struggle yeah. with this. In stark, in stark contrast to the folks in, in the synagogue just before this who, who said, this is just the son of Joseph. Uh, yes. uh, they marveled at how he could teach, but he's still just Joseph's son. And the, and this demon or demons knew exactly who it Absolutely. was. Absolutely. So now we're going to turn the corner into uh, something that I, I find uh, intriguing, and that is the expansion of what it means for Jesus to preach this message. It says, but Jesus rebuked him, verse 35, mm-hmm. saying, be quiet and come out of him. Okay, so just make sure we see what's happening here. Jesus has come to proclaim the good news. That was the quoting from Isaiah. People didn't like it. He goes down to Capernaum. He's preaching his message to them. And inside of that message, he casts out demons here. Okay. Now it says, and when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people through the person he was possessing down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. Okay, so the power of Jesus is amazing because he says, shut up and get out. And and the demon does. Verse 36, and amazement came upon them all. And here's the line. And they began talking with one another saying, what is this message? Mm. So it is not in Jesus's proclamation. It is not a message just of words. Mm. It is a message of power. power. So, so there it. It absolutely is words. We know it's words. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. He declares a whole lot of words. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, uh, compared to most average sermons, uh, you can read Peter's sermon uh, on Pentecost in about six minutes <laughs> uh, versus the 45-minute sermons, but deal with it, okay? So, so, so Peter declares his message, and he does his message with words, but there was also power. Mm-hmm. And Jesus right here, there's a connection. It says, what is this message. They don't say, what is this power? Mm -hmm. They could have said that, but they say, what is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Mm -hmm. He spoke Mm -hmm. 
and the power sends them mm-hmm. to go. There's there's something about that. And and these folks noticed that because twice they talked about the authority of his message. Twice they had just noted uh, his message was with authority back in verse uh, 32. And then once again, they say they hadn't seen that authority. Uh, and this seemed, this had to be foreign to them to see someone speaking the words of God and then using the power of the words of God to do something like driving out a demon out of this man. That had, I, I'm, I'm, I, it isn't any wonder they were amazed. Yes. It isn't any wonder. One of the great debates of the church today uh, and throughout the ages that is drummed up because of texts like this is the debate of what is prescriptive, what is descriptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's, here's my opinion on this. I think, I think people have to be careful in this because what we're seeing is the unfolding of the story of redemption. To then look at this and say, well, Jesus did it, therefore I'm going to jump in and do it. Hold on. We learn later about the seven sons of Sceva and how they shouldn't have been doing what, mm-hmm. what they were doing. Okay, so But there's, there's a good debate there, and it needs to be had with, um, with humility and reason. So then we go to our last section, verses 38 through 44, where many are healed. Uh, verse 38, then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. Most people don't uh, track the um, kind of the family units of the disciples, but Peter has a Mm mother-in-law. There's only one way to get a mother-in-law. You have to have a wife. Mm -hmm. And so so (laughs) Peter's mother-in-law is suffering with a high fever. And my wife pointed this out this morning, and it is something of a deep level of debate, yet again, mainly in charismatic circles, But look at what it says. It says, suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. Verse 39, and standing over her, just remember who this is. This is Jesus, right? And standing over her, he rebuked the fever. Now, there's there's people in today's world that like to rebuke the spirit of everything. It's the mm-hmm. spirit of infirmity, mm-hmm. the spirit of the sneaky squid spirit. I don't know what they're <laughs> what they're talking about, but here's what I want you to see that is there, and here's what I want you to see that's not there. He does rebuke a thing, the fever, but he doesn't say he rebuked the spirit of fevers. Right. Right. I, I think we sometimes we over spiritualize things. And sometimes we under-spiritualize things. Mm -hmm. But unique enough, Jesus himself rebukes a fever. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's worth considering. It's worth thinking about. And then it left her. It did. And she immediately got up and waited on them, which is, I think, a cooler part of the story. No, I'm just Immediately restored. Get me a sandwich. No, (laughs) that that is not what is supposed to be read there. But anyway, so... Uh. So it seems like that this, as, as it said, at the, the report back in verse 37, it says, and the report about him was spreading into every loca- locality in the surrounding uh, district. There again, a big area. So this, this I add to this, the, the healing of Simon's mother-in-law, I, and it isn't any wonder that in verse 40, it says, while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various dise- diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. It isn't any wonder that there were crowds that were flocking to him. They 
had never seen anything like this before. No. They had never experienced anyone who taught the way that he taught and then backed it up with the power of God with what he was doing. Absolutely. There is another debate. Yes, again, anytime we see the miraculous, you can be sure that right behind that verse comes a debate. Yep. And one of the debates here is, is in that it says that Jesus... Uh, healed each one of them, right? It says they brought them to him and laying hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Now, it's important to know that you can't take one verse to the exclusion of everything else in scripture. There were places where Jesus could not do things because of a lack of faith. And of course, that is yet another debate that we could spend a lot of time on. All that I'm pointing out here is here in this verse, in this context, he laid his hands on each one of them and he was healing them. That each one of them clearly implies each one who came to him. There might've been people who didn't come to him. We're not dealing with those people, but this is what happened. So, so Jesus is compassionate He's loving. He he just told us or told the previous town that he had come to set them free. Mm-hmm. And these are manifestations of that freedom. I don't believe that it is exactly what he's intending. I believe that they are I believe that they are analogous to the freedom from sin that he is really pointing to. But that, yet again, is another debate for another time. Mm-hmm. Verse 41, demons also were coming out of many. Many there. Yeah, not many. all, but many. Maybe what's being communicated there was that only only those many who had demons, right? Right. right. Uh, meaning that not everybody there was demon possessed. Some were sick and some were demon possessed, and demons were coming out of many of that whole crowd, shouting. And look at their message. Oh my! You are the son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. And there's something about him going to the cross early, that he is always guarding. He, yes, he wants to yes. prevent that from happening. This Thoughts is an amazing that. scripture because, once again, we have demons and uh, forces of darkness and all of Satan's crowd that understands completely who he is, understood it, knew what he was doing. They, they, he, he could even stop them from speaking. Now, that is a, that's power beyond anything that, that, that we can see generally. Uh, it could happen today. There's no doubt about that. But but we don't see a lot of this, and I'm not sure. Uh, well, there are many reasons why. Yeah. There are many reasons why, and that would that would take us a long time. We would this never get through. Absolutely this. true. But this is this is this is very uh, uh, to me. It's a very interesting verse because once again you have demons who who understand that Jesus is the Christ and you have people that he's speaking to who don't understand that. Yes. It's yes. it's an amazing story. So verse 42 we're we're turning the corner to 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 wrap this chapter up and it says when day came Jesus left and went to a, a secluded place. Uh, he's not unloving in this. There was a lot of time with his father. He wanted to get away and pray and be with his disciples. Uh, And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep Mm -hmm. him from going away from them. And you can imagine why. Yeah. When you see your whole city transformed because of this miraculous power, it's amazing. The, The question still remains, what will these people do with all the miracles they've seen? Mm -hmm. 
Will they follow him? Will they trust him? That remains to be seen. Going away from them, verse 43, But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. His his purpose Mm -hmm. is to preach the kingdom of God. But if we connect that with what we read before, his message included power. Mm -hmm. So we can't divorce those. And we shouldn't divorce those. I mean, there's no reason to, to take away from what God's Word says. We just need to let it be what God's Word says and, and maybe potentially stop trying to create so many mm-hmm. doctrines out of it for our, for our application. Mm-hmm. And then 44, so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's so, uh, there again, verse 43 was, is, a, is a very, uh, very important piece. I think that we, we, see, we see Jesus who seemed to allow himself to be confined to his role as a man. He, he could have used supernatural power to go to these other cities and preach, but he did not. He did not in this case. And, uh, uh, and I, I, I fast forward that to today. Uh, we, we are, he, had, he had empowered uh, those that would follow him to go and preach as well. So there comes a point where Jesus is not the only one preaching this, and he he sends out those that will obey him and do what he says and will follow after him. So he has help. He has help, and and I, that's a, that's an amazing piece to me because once again, as we said earlier, he didn't use godly godly power and resources as God that he had while he was on the earth necessarily in certain circumstances. Sometimes he did, sometimes he did not. Absolutely. Powerful restraint. Mm-hmm. So any closing thoughts on that chapter as a whole? Any major things? I think it tells us a lot about, about, about the heart of God. Uh, uh, first of all, I think many people see Jesus as someone who who only preached love, and, and he did preach love, but this is a man who, who went to the people and dealt with them as they were at the time. He wanted them to change. He wanted them to hear his word and follow him. And, and, and it's interesting, the very last verse intrigues me. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He's still going to the house of Israel. He's still going to those that were chosen of God, but yet making a way at the same time making a way for the Gentiles to be saved. It's an amazing thought. It's a perfect final thought. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in with us, and we hope that this has been helpful to you. If you have questions, if you have thoughts, uh, we want to hear them. You can uh, join us on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, You can send us an email through piercepointchurch at gmail.com. You can send me an email at nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com. Either way, no matter which way you want to get in, get in contact with us, we'd love to hear your thoughts, points of agreement, points of disagreement, uh, points that just were encouraging to you, points that we missed. Uh, we, we love this conversation. It's really helpful to continue to have it, and, um, and we're excited about uh, tomorrow. What we're going to be doing over the weekend is we will deal with chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Friday podcast. We're not going to deal with chapters 5, 6, and 7 at the depth uh, that we've been doing in these, unless we simply find that it's not doable otherwise. 
so that we can have a podcast that'll last through the weekend. And then the sermon will be on Sunday, and then we'll hit it again Monday morning. So thank you guys for joining us. Have a great day.